0: We're jumping into the scriptures this morning. If you don't know who I am, I'm Mike. I'm the high maintenance one. Uh, Let's pray together. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your love for us. We are who you say we are. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have uh, broken into our story. You've made a way that we can come to know who Christ is real and present in our lives. Oh, we thank you and we ask, Lord, that this might uh, be a blessing to us this morning as we study your word. We know it's living and active. Might it penetrate our hearts. We pray these things in your name, amen. amen. Um, when I was a kid, we, our family made a cultural shift. Um, we, we, for years, grew up drinking tap water um, and there was this movement, I think, in our family where we went to this distilled water thing. Um, ever had a distiller in your house before, anyone? Okay, it felt like it was a weird thing, so I'm glad that no one else had one. <laughs> um, basically, you put the water in, and about 10 hours later, water comes out, um, and I think there's less like impurities in it and all those things. It slowly drips like forever, uh, making even the most patient people impatient. Um, and so when the Brita water filter came out, my life was changed. Um, as a young child, water could happen quicker. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about this whole process, this, idea, this, this statement of uh, distilling something. You know, bringing out what is most important, leaving behind all that is unimportant, bringing that to the the center of all that we are. And we want to distill out what is most important in life and not get hung up on things that are uh, not important. We're living in quite the cultural moment right now. You could say that for any number of reasons. There are many. People are encouraged to stand for what they believe in, knowing that even the why you do things is as important as what you do. I think it's a good thing, and the ability for people to be able to talk about uh, what they believe and have opinions and be able to put it out there is a really great thing. And technology has afforded us the opportunity to share that, even in such ways that people that are in places of uh, influence and power are not the only ones getting to share their thoughts and their opinions, what they believe. You can share. You can post. You can wear what you believe and make that known to the people around And And America has a a lot of noise right now. I think maybe it always has. Uh, And in some ways it's not just like the the noise of a city, it's the noise of opinion. It's a saturated market. You know, he knows the best way to get healthy and to, to lift weights at the gym. She has the answer to all of your skin and uh, hair and everything issue on, you can just buy that product. And he can provide you with peace in the area of your finances. They know how to find you a home that can satisfy all of your dreams. This artist speaks for women. She champions my political views. They represent our cultural perspective. He is the athlete that we should build our team around. Not going to go there. <laughs> and if we take a step back, I think it's vitally important to know what uh, is, is really distilled out as, as a culture, what we're saying loudest. I was thinking, it'd be kind of cool if there was a way for us to know, actually throughout the course of a year, what our loudest opinions were, what came up most often or what we said and talked about and promoted most often. Google is getting close with how much we search for certain things, but it's not there yet. But there is a way you can do this in a, in a different kind of a way. It's called a Wordle. Um, basically, you can take the text uh, of anything uh, either written down, um, you can find blogs, you can take uh, works of literature, and you can put it into this system, and it will spit out the most uh, used words. And the ones that come up the, the most are displayed the largest on things like this. For instance, this one is the Declaration of Independence displayed as a piece of art, right? So laws and people and states come out loudest, and the words that get used less are smaller in in the way of importance. This next one here is CNN homepage, right? Lots going on on the CNN homepage. This next one is crazy. So I I went and I said, I want to think of something like culturally that we're involved in right now. So I took the top five most popular songs on the charts right now for pop music and I copied their lyrics in and this is all five of the top five songs' lyrics. Crazy, right? Run, away, need, intentions, running, change. Lots of pain involved in our lyrics right now. What would your 2019 Wordle look like? If we could display the art of what your life in 2019 looked like, what would it it be like? Maybe even what would our churches look like? I mean, sometimes it's helpful to know, are we coming across as we think we're coming across? I went to our latest uh, thing that we have. It's called the Community of Hope blog, a chance for stories about Christ to be posted um, on our church's website. And so I copied that and I made one based off of that. And I'm really glad God is the biggest. <laughs> like, we'd be in, we would be in a lot of trouble if we, it wasn't. Um, but you see, it's easy for us to become distracted with kind of the smaller words, the things that aren't most important. Um, these are all good important words, but things that are not most important. Christians are known around the world for many things. And not all the time is Christ, Jesus, the loudest. He's part of it, but often some other things come to the surface. An outside perspective on how we come across is oftentimes really helpful. Like this, Uh, there was a pastor that traveled to East India years ago and he uh, was going there to meet with some people who he knew were planning churches and to encourage them and to speak in their different villages. And so he arrives at this first village and he gets there and he's walking alongside a pastor and his wife and he uh, notices on the side of the pathway into this village, there is a shrine on his left and it's covered in blood and there's chicken feathers all over the place knowing that there was just an animal sacrifice made to this shrine. A couple steps further, he realizes there is a different shrine on his right side. And as he's walking, he notices all sorts of these gods and idols set up worshiping different gods all along. So to make conversation, he leans over to this pastor's wife, who he's walking next to, and he says, So, have you ever been to America? And she says, I have, And I'll never go back. He was like, okay, you got my interest. Why? What's what's the reason? And she says, I've been there and I just could not stomach all of their idolatry. And he was a bit confused at that moment, knowing that there's animal sacrifices and blood all over the places that he's walking into this village. And so he asked her to explain. And she said, well, Your God is your sports teams, and you spend billions of dollars shaping around these people and sports. Your God is your TV. In almost every American home, there are chairs set up in a circle right around this box that people watch. Your God is your TV. Your God is your stomach, and there are restaurants, and you don't have to go anywhere without feeling like you're going to be left without hunger or food. You worship your stomach. Christians, you see, we have many side gigs, things that we can be preoccupied with, and oftentimes distilling out what is most important in our lives, what we're making most important, not only in our lives, but as other people see that in our lives, is important to think about. And if we were to take this book and distill out the most important message, what would it be? Let me suggest these three words. A just and loving God created us in his image. You see, man chose to follow the temptation in the Garden of Eden, and, and then the, began the, the brokenness, the separation from God, the fall. Because of the fall of man, the Bible calls us dead in our trespasses and sins. Not sick, not weak, not confused, dead. Dead. And in order for dead things to come alive, there has to be a miracle. God spoke into human history, sending Christ as a savior for us. That whoever would turn from their way and believe in him as their Lord, he would buy back. They will be saved. Redemption. Created in his image, we went our own way and fell away from relationship with God. And he saw fit to buy back into our story and say, I want you back enough to send my son, Christ. Christians, women, men, children, black, Asian, Latino, white, Indian, Democrats, Republican, young, old, people of FCC, followers of Christ. Our language and promotion must first and loudest be about him. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. First John 2.17 says, this world is passing away with its desires, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. And so we walk into our text this morning, Matthew chapter four, when Jesus is choosing his disciples, knowing, man, there is a clear and and uh, distinct purpose that we have in this world as followers of Christ, to know him and make him known loudest and first. So if you turn with me there in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus uh, headed into the wilderness. He was uh, tested by Satan three different times, and three different times he denied that temptation for power, for food, and for lording over uh, the entire city and he says, You know what? I'm going to follow in obedience to God, my Father. After he denies Satan, he moves into the, the region that he's going into, into Galilee, and uh, he begins to minister to people there. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, For the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. See you, Dad. I'm out. <laughs> Fulfilling prophecy and led by the Spirit, the great light, Jesus, appears on the scene. And here's his singular message Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn to me, I'm the answer. The kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus then follows and, and calls his disciples. Over the last uh, two weeks ago, we uh, went as, as eight pastors away just for a night to pray together, to um, be in God's word, and to really hear where God might be leading us. And um, you can imagine when eight pastors get into a van, it's like the start of a really great joke. Um, my wife and other people in the office who were sitting there watching, like, that is going to be an absolute trip as, as we were loading the van. And it was. Um, did you know that Pastor Don can almost quote any Three Stooges movie, like, episode? He is incredible at it. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever even seen one, but uh, we were praying, um, and we were there together, and the, the first evening we're there, um, we spent some time, and the, the topic was brought up that, you know, it's really cool that we have this brotherhood. We get to pastor together, to know each other, to walk alongside in life together, and um, as we're thinking about brotherhood, uh, Pastor Mark says, you know, it's, it's cool that Jesus called sets of brothers to come and be part of his team. And what a, what a joy it is that we get to call each other brothers in this way. It was a sweet moment, and it passed. And um, <laughs> we all went to bed. Um, and the next morning, we woke up, and as good pastors do, we spent the first five hours in prayer and silence. Um, oh, we didn't do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, But we actually, not five hours, but it was neat. We did wake up and each of us just in our own way, kind of before breakfast, we're spending time in God's word in the different parts of uh, our Airbnb that we got for the night. Um, And we're sitting there and I just wanted to read that passage about the brotherhood. And so I'm reading here in Matthew chapter four and while brothers stuck out, there was another thing that really came to the front that was like, I I couldn't shake it, it was this whole idea of fishermen. And maybe you've asked the question before, why did Jesus choose fishermen? But I guess I really hadn't asked it too much. Like, okay, yeah, it makes for a great statement, like, I'll make you fishers of men. But why in the world fishermen? Why not any other job in the entire world? What was it about fishermen that maybe directed or was intentional in Jesus' choosing of these four men at the very beginning here? I want to suggest a few things this morning uh, that maybe would give some insight to this from the scriptures. But also, I have to make a confession. I really hate fishing. Um, It's not fun for me at all. Um, I actually don't know a ton about fishing. um, And saying this may actually disqualify me from sharing anything that I'm going to say. I understand that. But if you are a fisherman or a fisherwoman, I don't know how they... What you say, an angler, is that another word you could say? Yeah? Okay. Um, Next time you're in a boat and you're fishing, um, can you just pray for me to just understand who you are? Because I'm going to guess you're already talking to the Lord because fishing is the worst. And you're like, help me, Lord, catch a fish, you know? Like, okay. So the first reason why I think Jesus chose fishermen is because... They were fishermen. Fishing was their life. That's kind of a weird thing to say if you can't do that, Mike. Um, Well, Jesus always reached people where they were. He walked into their context, and oftentimes he would minister to them right in in their places of pain. He would reach out to them as as the healer. In places uh, where they were fetching water at the well, and he would come alongside of them, he would speak to them as that, I am the living water. He made himself known through these metaphors as saying that he is the life that is truly life. Come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. I want you to go and I want you to follow after me and then go find people to come follow after me as well. Be a fisher of men. Jesus was an unbelievable student of people and their context. He just kind of knew how to to work in and get to know people in such a way. Uh, It it was amazing uh, that he would make conversation out of these these problems and these painful points and direct it back to Christ. But there's something symbolic about being fishermen that that I think is really important here. Uh, It says that Peter and James left their nets and followed Jesus. James and John immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. These were career fishermen. They weren't just casually on the side of the lake doing their thing. This was a business. They were trying to make money here, and they were holding their job, their livelihood in their hands. Literally, the first two were holding their nets casting, and when Jesus said, "Follow me," they what? They dropped their nets. And when you drop something out of your hand, you release it. Your hands are open. And almost like if you think of someone asking for something, maybe they did this. All right, Lord, now what? And they walked ahead symbolically with nothing in their hands, leaving their business behind, probably scared, but at the same time, trusting Jesus. You see, they already knew who he was. They didn't meet him there for the first time on the shore uh, in the book of John, uh, we, we know that John the, the Baptist came before Jesus, preparing the way for him to come into this world. This is what John chapter 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Faith is just that. It's a release of control saying, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Now, when you think about the word Lord of my life, calling someone Lord, that doesn't mean he's a friend first, although Jesus is a friend. It doesn't mean he's just kind of like a counsel giver first. Although he does that. Lord means he's in control. And that doesn't mean you come to Jesus and you say, Yeah, okay, we'll we'll talk a little bit, we'll have this friendship. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm laying down, I am casting the net, it's gone. Everything is in your hands now. You are my Lord. And that might mean I was listening to Francis Chan earlier this week, and he said, That might mean when you say Lord, he might ask you to do things you're not comfortable with, but he's your Lord. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with Christ? He personally met these men in their context and said, come, follow after me. Fishing was their life, but fishing also requires teamwork, number two. A typical fishing boat in uh, these days would have required a number of people, right? It would require someone to uh, captain the boat or sail or whatever the case might have been. And it would also require a number of people that were working the nets. And it also involved people being in the water. Their fishing technique uh, involved nets being thrown in. And some of the technology wasn't there. And so people in the water would then gather the nets, bring it close to the boat, and they would hoist it back into the boat. And so it was like a a whole operation going on, much like a, a career fisherman may do today. This teamwork was something that Jesus Played into, a team effort would be also needed as they were to fish for people. Literally go and gather people and tell them about who I am and, and they would go in sets of two. We see later on in, in the book of Luke uh, that Jesus appointed 72 other disciples and sent them out in pairs and here's what he did with them. Luke chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As you're going and creating conversations about Jesus, this is meant to be a team effort, not a solo gig. We're here in a church. The whole church is working toward making Christ known. The workers are few, but the harvest is plenty, so we got to go as a team. I spent the, um, a week over the summer uh, with 50 high school students on what we called a spiritual retreat. Uh, I, I said, what if this year, instead of like telling them what we're going to do, we just don't tell them what we're going to do, and we take them for five days, and we go retreat somewhere. Would parents trust us? Well, 50 of them did, so we went, um, and for five days, the students uh, arrived at different locations and were part of whether it was encouraging them spiritually, whether it was a part of service uh, or something to, like, enrich their their lives. And so we ended up on day two at this place called the First Fruits Farm in Maryland. Um, No one had any idea what they were going to be doing throughout the week. I told them the clothes to pack and clothes that you might wanna get dirty in. So, day two, here we are at First Fruits Farm. It's the middle of July, we're walking out, we are piling out of the vans, not seeing a lot of covering, Uh, it's hot, and I said, we're gonna be picking corn for the day. (laughs) Not a popular moment in my youth pastor (laughs) career. but they were like, okay, great, we'll, we'll pick corn. And so we were learning what it was looking like to harvest this corn. Anyone ever done that before, picked corn? Okay. Normally it's like you pick one or two and you put it and you're like, good, I got my corn, we're good. This is like a whole day of corn picking, <laughs> not prepared for it at all. It involves a lot of work. And about 10 minutes in, you're wondering, is this really how they do it? <laughs> like, can, this, can there be a better way? And there are, there are machines, but... First Fruits Farm is entirely powered by volunteers and people that are Christians that want to come and serve, and they give away all of the food to local food banks and shelters in uh, Maryland, New Jersey, and Delaware. I think Jameson, if you're watching right now, uh, this is your shout out. He's the farm hand that's like owning this whole thing, Um, but it is one of the coolest places. You should all go visit and volunteer there, but we learned that the harvest is plentiful, Like you get through one part of the corn row and you turn around and you go back the other direction. It's not a big farm, but as soon as we finished, they had more groups coming in and they were going to pick the same place that we were just picking. We thought we got it all, but there's so much growing constantly that it needs to be harvested a few times. The harvest is ongoing. I understood more of the team effort in this whole process knowing that No one person could do this job. This had to be a team effort, and Jesus knew that these fishermen knew how to work as a team and called them together. Man, that should shape how we do ministry here. If you're spearheading something or going after it without a team around you, it's not how ministry is supposed to be. Work as a team. It was their life. Fishing requires teamwork, and the third one, fishing requires skill. We know from, uh, as the scriptures teach and as the, the cultural uh, uh, research that I did around here, is that there were two different types of fishing happening. One was uh, using what's called a seine net, which would make me insane. I'll tell you why in a second. They would cast this net in, um, and it could be done either in the water or from the shore. And that was what Peter and Andrew were doing. They were using this seine net casting. It's a large circle uh, net And they would take weights and put them all around the outside of the net. And then they would just get it right to where they could throw it, cast it out, and be able to drop around and catch fish in that way. (laughs) It seems like it doesn't work. Um, I watched a YouTube video of a a kid doing this, trying to use a seine net. Um, And it was getting tangled. It was all messed up. It just seems like that's not the most efficient way to, to go fishing. But what do I know? Um, But it involved a lot of skill. Uh, Watching here, this is not something that you um, perfect over a few minutes. It's a lifetime of learning. So they were doing that fishing from shore. There was also James and John using uh, a boat and also what's called a drag net. They would drag the net behind the boat. It would catch the fish. The people in the the water would also swim and, and move them in, and they would be able to catch the fish and gather. Particular skill needed to be honed in order to fish in this way. And Jesus would call these men and appoint them to go, needing skill, needing to learn these things. Think of all the different uh, opportunities and situations the disciples would find them in in the days ahead. They had no idea what they were about to get into. In a few days, they'd be passing out food for 5,000 plus people. They'd see people being uh, raised from the dead or being healed or all sorts of different things. They'd watch Jesus calm storms and all uh, a mass number of things where their skill and their trust of Jesus would come into play. I believe it's very much the case still today. If we're to be fishers of men, if we're to follow Christ in this mission distilled in the scriptures, we better have skill. 240 of you showed up uh, yesterday. Uh, for a a conference to to learn about how to study the scriptures. And that is awesome that you did that. Um, Man, to study the Psalms, to learn how to use the book that we want to hold most central in our lives. Let's study together. Over the summer, we teach students how to share the gospel with somebody. You think, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, why would you just... Teach them how to do it. They should just do it. But if you've ever done it before, oftentimes it doesn't go how you have planned. You have your five verses and you want to talk them through, and they're like, nah, I don't buy number two. And you're like, shoot, what do I do with three through five? And now I'm stuck. It's a process, it's a practiced skill that as the Lord might use you in someone's life, learning the scriptures, sharpening the skills. I had uh, the chance to learn about a a sharpened skill this week um, of a a man who came to my house and he was going to be, we hired him to uh, pump out our our septic tank. Um, It was a profession that, um, it's actually as bad as you might imagine it is. Um, They show up there, it's got the big like tank going on, they bring out the hoses, it goes in, he pulls up the cover and He wants me to come look in and shows me what's in there. And I'm like, why? Why would you need to show me that? Thank you, I'm good. Um, The other guy on the part of his team, he's got his head in the tank and he's spraying around. I'm like, why would you do this? I'm happy to pay you whatever you want, sir. Do this. I will never do this. Please help me, Lord, if I ever have to do that. Um, But I noticed there was something about his way. He just kind of like, was making conversation, and it wasn't pushy or over the top. It just kind of was a natural flow. He was talking about the yard and where we live and where I grew up and the schools that I went to, and we happened to go to the same elementary school, him way before I did. And and so we talked through some things, and the conversation kind of was navigating along, and we ended up at a place where he said, so what church do you go to? And it didn't seem weird in the least bit, Might seem weird to you if you were to ask that to somebody, but the way this guy honed his skills, he just kind of found his way there. And I said, I'm actually a pastor a mile down the road. Uh, And he was like, no way, goes in for the high five. And I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I think we ended on a a pound, but um, (laughs) it was a mess. but this man was on a mission far beyond cleaning out septic tanks. He knew Christ. And this skill was developed over time. Man, we can learn from people like this who are following the Lord and working in their, their sets of skills with what they're doing. Okay, the last one, fishing requires patience. I may not know a lot about fishing, but I know that it requires patience. And I want to tell you how. When I was on a trip up in Maine uh, for the men's fishing trip, um, I've gone a couple times. And what happens on the men's fishing trip is fishing, except for me and a few friends, we go mountain biking and hiking. It's a lot better. Uh, (laughs) So we're up there and we're doing our thing. We hike and bike, we come back, and we have this like, oh man, it's so funny. We have this highs and lows moment at the end of the night. And we're sitting around, and it's like, all right, so what was your high of the day? And I'm like, wow, we we climbed uh, Boarstone Mountain today. It was a great hike, and there was, like, cloud cover on the top. It was really cool. And then we went mountain biking after lunch. Great day, great day. Okay. Uh, What was your high? It comes to, like, one of the father-son pairs, and they're like, man, well, we we flipped our boat today. Um, (laughs) We actually did catch one fish. Okay, one fish, right. Goes to the next person. What was your high of the day? Man, well, I had this really big bite on my line, um, and it it actually got away, but it it must have been like a three or five, ten-pound fish. Um, And they go on on for five minutes about nothing. They're not catching anything. (laughs) And the third person literally is like, man, day two, no fish. (laughs) Like, why do you do this? It makes no sense to me. So this is what I just don't understand, but maybe fishermen do that it requires patience. And these people who made a career out of fishing knew the ebb and flow of catching and not catching. Oftentimes, you're pursuing someone and following the Lord's calling and introducing them to Christ, and you're like, it's just not landing. And the the patience that these men knew of from their career would be instrumental in the way they would share about Christ with the world. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about this patience and sharing. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. If you're working to introduce someone to Christ, know that you do your part and you wait and you watch as God allows things to grow. Paul later on Uh, as he would be sharing about um, following Christ, he would be able to tell his story. And if you know a little bit of Paul's story, where he came from was the very opposite of where he was at that point. He was a Christian killer. He was murdering people that were followers of Christ and throwing them in prison. And the unique nature of this is now he, he is on the complete opposite side, sharing about Jesus, and he's standing before King Agrippa. King Agrippa uh, brought him in and was like, Paul, you're creating all kinds of chaos. Uh, You're talking about this Jesus guy. The floor is yours. I want you to tell your story. And so Paul is there and he's like, yo, you you know who I used to be. I was a legend at, at killing Christians. I had this radical transformation and now my life has changed and here I am. And in the middle of this, at the end of this conversation, Paul goes to King Agrippa. So would you like to trust Jesus as your savior too? Basically, that's what he says. And here's where we pick up as Paul is so bold after sharing his story of conversion in Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with with them, After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Patience. Knowing that there's not often times where you can close the deal in the very moment that you're introducing someone to Christ. Many people would even pray for those moments. We're like, man, I I would love if this person that doesn't know Jesus would know him. It's the very story of a woman that I met uh, in our church lobby a few weeks ago. Um, she's been here for many, many years serving faithfully, and she said, Mike, I gotta tell you this story. Um, I I was, uh, been praying for my neighbor for many, many years to come to know Christ, and um, it's just, it hasn't been going well, and he knows that we would always have an invite for him to come to church, but he's just kind of standoffish to anything that has to do with Jesus. And so one day she was walking her dog through the park, and uh, up comes her neighbor, and there's her neighbor right in the midst of this, and uh, he goes, listen, I I gotta tell you, this story. So she's there with her dog, and he begins to tell the story. He said, you know where I work, right down the road here, and every day I go to the cafeteria and get lunch, but today I forgot my wallet at home, didn't have any money with me, so I thought, no big deal, I'll go for a walk during lunch, probably could use some fresh air. So he's walking on his lunch break, and he's wandering around, and he he makes his way back, and before he gets back, he watches as a car careens over the curb and into the cafeteria where he would have been sitting and he said, if I had gotten my lunch today, I would not be here telling you this story. I need to know the God who you spoke about. The door was opened and she didn't do anything. God opened that door and with patience through many, many years of praying and waiting, maybe then was the moment that he would turn his heart to Christ. My prayer this week and the goal would that we would be people ready whenever God would ask us to being good students of the culture meeting people where they are that we would fish together as a team introducing many people to Christ all together as one skilled in the scriptures and in relational ministry and and speaking about grace and forgiveness and patient, knowing that his time is best. We call ourselves at Fellowship a community of hope in Christ. What would it take if the loudest and first thing that people knew about us was, man, they go to that church that's a community of hope in Christ, and it's just always on their lips. They're always talking about that. And everything else, secondary. You might be here this morning because of God's actually appointed timing. You're asking questions, maybe wondering why you're here. Might I suggest that God would have you here to introduce you to Jesus who says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, Jesus was sent, but sent by a God who is totally against your sin and your brokenness. He can't have that. And that same God of justice and wrath actually wants relationship with you. He knew that you couldn't make it on your own. And so he said, Jesus, would you go and pay that penalty? That he would willingly take our deserved wrath and judgment. This is the God that invites us in. We're gonna have a chance now to celebrate and remember the sacrifice of Christ in our place that literally is communion. We get to remember the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ. And we'll go and, and talk through these elements here in a second, and, um, but I want to encourage you, just as you're here and you're sitting and, and we're passing these things out and music will play in the background kind of thing, just begin to talk to the Lord. Maybe there are some things you want to just get off your chest, confess to him, bring into the light. Maybe you want to make him Lord Of your life. It's a big statement to make, but it's free and available to you because of Christ. So we're going to invite some of the men to come that are on our deacon board uh, to share with the elements this morning.